Coach Brad Corn is here. How are things, Coach? Doing all right. Doing about as well as you can right now. As well as you can. Uh, you are uh, not a huge football guy, admittedly. Uh, everybody is different, and obviously you're a college basketball coach. You, you're focused more on hoops. Uh, and uh, watching the Super Bowl, I didn't know if you were going to tune into the Super Bowl. Were you engaged with the Super Bowl yesterday? Yeah, I was. I actually watched quite a bit of it. Um, you know, as I, I get a little bit older, a guy like Usher performing at halftime, I was interested to see that. Uh, I grew up on a lot of those types of songs. So That was a really impressive performance, man. I mean, he, he did all of his, his faves. and. Uh, I mean, he really worked, physically worked hard on that. Uh, I was impressed. Yeah, it's just, it's it's funny. As you get a little bit older, you start knowing what the weather is. Uh, you want to watch uh, people you listened to earlier perform, and you know who the halftime. I knew more about the halftime performance probably than I did about the actual game itself, so I know I'm getting, starting to get a little bit older. Um, but, uh, yeah, just stayed at home, watched it with the family, and a little bit of invested interest. You know, I've been able to see the Chiefs, and I think as coaches, too, and building programs and, you're always trying to steal things from people, and I think success and failures leave clues. And so even you can learn, I can learn something from Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and all those guys. Uh, even going back a year ago, we showed a clip of the, of the player to the players. I don't know, I know you know who they are, but the, the one guy had a chance to run in the end zone and he took the knee. Uh, so the clock could run out. Right. And then to put it into but, Butker, Butker, whatever his name is, the but, kickers. Butker, right. Yeah, to put it in his, and like who would do that? You know, to me, that's a championship-level type of a team. So relaying those messages to the players, you know, just because we're college basketball doesn't mean you know, that's the highest of highs. They're having worldwide Super Bowl watch parties. And so, again, if a guy's willing to do that for his team because of the most important thing was winning, uh, that would be hard for me. If someone gave you the ball, with a, it was clear-cut. He could have scored the touchdown. He decides to take a knee. Like, I don't know if I would have done that. He got a chance to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I'm running the end zone. Uh, but to have that wherewithal to, to make sure it's all about the team. They win a Super Bowl. Now they're back-to-back. Now they're talking about legacy with Patrick Mahomes. It just uh, all those, it leaves clues. So, again, long, drawn-out answer to your question. But, uh, but yes, I, I watched and um, pretty entertaining. And then, of course, we have a little bit of invested interest as well for the Niners, with Marquez and his brother Ronnie being on the team. So uh, probably paid more attention to this Super Bowl than I have in the other ones. I, I don't know about you, uh, I'm not interested in being in a Super Bowl party as a broadcaster and somebody who's going to, on the radio, on my sports talk show, talk about the game. Uh, and as a broadcaster, I want to listen to the broadcasters. I want to hear Tony Romo. What about Jim Nance? What about the sideline reports? I want to see the replays on the penalties. It's, you know, uh, I don't want to be at a Super Bowl party where, you know, there are distractions. You're trying to focus on the game. So... I know Super Bowl parties are great. I've been to plenty of them over the years. But this time of day, man, I just I just want to focus in on the game. I want to get everything I can out of watching that broadcast. And you're probably, you know, you've got to come back and perform, on, like you said, in your job the next day and know what's going on. And it's like, oh, well, let me go back and watch that. It's like, no, let me, let me watch it now and take it in the right way and be able to give my informed opinion on it the next day. So uh, kind of the same way, just – what are those little things? Again, I talked about that play last year about that player taking the knee. And, uh, you know, I know all the other Patrick Mahomes, Andrew, Andy Reid, all that type of stuff. But even though I don't know anything about football per se, 
I know they have, you have to make adjustments. And being down 10 in the biggest game ever, and then Andy Reid and the Chiefs come out in the second half, what adjustments do they make? So I may not know the game of football, but you can still see what adjustments do people make and then see how you can add that to, to the way you coach. And so I think there's always learning lessons, even if it's not the same sport, uh, even if I'm never going to have a conversation with Andy Reid, there's still, no matter if it's business or football or baseball, there's still other things that you can always pull and, and try to add to your program your organization you know several years ago uh, Rick Pitino wrote a book it's called lead to succeed it's all about leadership and the entire book there's only one athlete he talks about only one and that was Bill Russell the winningest professional player of all time in any sport uh, and these are other people in everyday life about leadership not he was not talking about athletics except for Bill Russell so uh, kind of what you're talking about uh, for anybody that is around college football on a regular basis, as I am, and we could talk to Coach Tuke about it, uh, the overtime rules have changed in the NFL. It's like the college rule in that each team gets to possess the ball. That's It's a brand-new rule for the playoffs. That's the way it is in college football in the overtime system. So when they do the coin flip, you want to play defense. It's the only, you know, you want to play defense. Uh, before in the NFL, uh, you wanted to play offense because if you go down and score, the game's over. That's not the way it is now. The other team gets a shot no matter what. Okay, so right now it is coming to everyone's attention. There are several San Francisco 49ers players because their head coach took the ball rather than play defense. So there are questions. Does he know that, that, that the overtime rule changed because there are several of his players who said, I didn't know the rule. I didn't know that the overtime rules have changed in football. I'm translating this long story into you. Mm-hmm. How often do you go over rules with your players? Because it would be wrong as a coach to assume. I mean, they've been playing basketball since they could walk. Of course they know the rules. No, not all the time. How often do you go over rules, uh, rule changes? Obviously, rule changes, I'm sure you're, you're going to address that. But rules of the game and and sometimes guys will say why i really didn't know that yeah we do that um especially at the beginning of the year when we get the emphasis that it's going to be there's normally about three emphasis that they're really going to try to emphasize and and hone in on so like Um, a couple of years ago the flopping they they changed the flopping we're going to call it a lot now and then all of a sudden you haven't seen a flop call anywhere ever again right and this year it was uh screening uh it was I forget the other ones, uh, but we do as soon as because our head of officials will come and meet with every uh, team uh, in the off season, September, October time, and kind of lay it out and watch some clips. Okay, here's what we're looking for going into this season. And that very next practice, we go and take that information uh, right to the guys. So right to right to us, right to them, um, and then really try to emphasize it in practice. You know, those next couple practices to put it on their on their mind. But when we do the special situations. Um, you know, that's kind of that's a continual thing uh, through practice. Uh, so it's just these little things. You saw us miss the free throw with Braxton, uh, certain things like that. Uh, that was the greatest missed free throw in the history of missed free throws, by the way. Yeah. If, if my man Ev would have just made that shot. But, uh, oh. Uh, you know, well, we'll see talk, if he's listening. We'll, t- yeah. we'll, talk, we'll talk to him about <laughs> it uh, coming up. No, but uh, – but we do talk about certain situations and certain rule changes. One of the ones that we talked about uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago was like, hey, if the other team scores with, you know, 34 seconds, something like that, at the end of the first half, don't take the basketball out. Now, this isn't necessarily a rule change, 
Um, it's just more so of just thinking about the game and understanding what it is. Don't take the ball out right away. Let it bounce, let it bounce, because now that 34 goes down into 30 or 29, well, now we're guaranteed the last possession of the first half. But if you take the ball out at 34 and inbound it, now the shot clock starts. Well, now the other team's going to probably get the ball back with three or four seconds left. So little things like that to think the game, to have a high IQ, maybe more so that's throughout the season. But at the beginning of the year, it is a lot more rule-based, hey, emphasis on this, make sure you're cognizant of what's going on. So if you get into the game and make these errors and mistakes, you know, you know what it is or know what at least it happens every year, Eric. You know, they, they're hard on it the first two weeks of the season, then it fades away, and then they really pick it up here these last two weeks because everybody wants to get in the NCAA tournament because that's how they advance as officials. they got to follow the rules. But, um, you know, a lot, to, a lot of times it's more so, honestly, during games is more so like telling guys to sit down on the sidelines, and it's just the wildest, craziest thing ever to me. But that's really the main rules that they really try to hammer home consistently throughout the season. I've got a couple of examples of rules that I have seen with players that they may not, you, you can tell they, they may not know the rule. Uh, one of them is inbounding, and are you a, a allowed to run the baseline or not? Yeah. You are allowed to run the baseline after a made basket or a made free throw. Some players don't know that. Yeah, that's and they'll run the baseline, on, I mean, and it wasn't a made basket, and it's a traveling call on them. And it was actually, if you go back uh, two years ago, or maybe even three, so on a dead ball, you can't go. You see a lot of people line up in what people call the football play now, where everybody's out of bounds. So you can pass the ball along the baseline at the same time that you can run the baseline. So anytime it's a live ball or a score and a timeout, and you can run the baseline, another player from your team can be out of bounds with you, and I can pass the ball to you. And that's where you see that, that football play, where people line up all along the baseline, behind the end line, and then make their break. You can do that on a made basket. You cannot do that on a dead ball. UT Martin did that on a dead ball at their place, and it should have been a violation, and I think it might even be a technical, if I'm not mistaken. Missed call. Um, but it, So there are there's those little rules that you well, can't Well, you're always hammering the officials. It's unbelievable. It, no. hey, I'm, just, I'm just pointing out a no, rule no, no. that was not followed correctly. Completely not a judgment it. call. That was a right. rule. And same thing with when the ball is in your hands and the shot clock goes off. That's supposed to be a shot clock violation. So oh. Uh, there's certain rules that I just, you know, if your foot's on the end line and you're out of bounds, it's supposed to be out of bounds. So those are, there's pretty cut and dry rules that sometimes get followed and sometimes don't. All right, we'll ask about that uh, play in just a moment. I also wanted to point out, uh, here's another rule that I have seen that indicates to me that some guys don't know this rule. You're inbounding in the front court. And the inbounds play comes near center court. I've seen guys catch the ball and tiptoe along that center line, thinking that if they go into the backcourt, it's going to be a backcourt violation. It is not. You can inbound the ball into the backcourt if you want to. But every once in a while, you'll see a player. I'm not saying your players. Mm -hmm. You'll see a player kind of tiptoe in that line, which would lead you to indi indicate to you that he does not know the rule. Rules like that are kind of what I'm talking about as well, in addition to changes in the rule. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing, too, is that there's a, there have been so many changes over the years, really over the last 10 years. It seems like we're changing rules all the time. Uh, it used to be if you deflected it last and it went in the backcourt, and if you touched it last and you were on offense, then it was a backcourt violation on you. Now it's kind of they've kind of less you know relaxed that rule a little bit. As long as it's deflected, they'll just let anybody go back and get it. It won't be a backcourt. Uh, it used to be if you got one foot across half court, you could not – you had to be continued to go into the front court. And now it's, you have to have all three. Both feet and the basketball has got to be all the way across in order for it to be 
uh, backcourt violation. Used to be the ball, if the ball went over the backboard uh, across the plane, that was out of bounds. Now it can run all along the backboard as long as it doesn't go beyond that invisible line of the backboard. So there's a lot of those rules. Now, if it hits the shot clock, it's a dead ball. Correct. Anything above or if it hits any part of the apparatus. But if that ball can literally roll along the top and everyone thinks it's out of bounds, it should be that team's ball. As long as that ball does not cross over, kind of like a football goal line, as long as it doesn't cross over that, it's a live ball. Uh, So a lot of those rules have changed, and it's confusing. Sometimes I've seen it a few times where a guy will have one foot over, going into the front court, throws it to his guy in the backcourt, and everyone thinks it's backcourt because his foot was across the line. But if all three aren't across, it's not backcourt. And now this year we've seen a lot with the deflections. You see a lot of deflections. Like everyone's like, well, that's backcourt. It's like, well, they've, they've kind of lessened that a little bit because it's too hard to determine, I guess, maybe who hit it last or any of that. And they just, as long as it's a deflection, that means it's not possessed by either team. Fair game. It seems to me these are the types of things that you want to make sure your players know because it would come into play now. I, I believe they changed the rule in the NBA. I don't know if they changed it in college or not. It was the old Larry Bird play uh, where Bird was on the baseline behind the backboard, and he shoots a ball over the backboard, and it goes through. They discounted you cannot shoot the ball from behind the backboard. I think they changed that in the NBA. Is it still that way in college? You cannot shoot that Larry Bird shot in college, or I, can you? I don't think that you can shoot that. Okay. Shot in college. Okay. No, they'll, they'll consider that crossing, you know, that invisible goal line, right. if you will, of being out of bounds to inbounds, uh, which doesn't make sense because the basket is inbounds. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah, there are those little rules, and even rules like that or little scenarios like that that you don't think are going to pop up, and then they do. And it's like, well, I didn't know that rule changed, or I didn't know what it was. And so you're always kind of asking the officials during the game. The one that's kind of gone back, uh, was very popular uh, maybe 10 years ago, but is the jumping out of bounds and calling timeout. Yeah. You know, they took that away. And then we've had it happen this year. Uh, another opponent was falling out of bounds, and he called timeout because they did away with that for a little while. But now I think that's back as long as they're saying that you have possession. Another one is I haven't seen it granted on a guy jumping. I've seen it on a guy teetering, losing his balance, calling time before he comes out. I haven't seen anyone try to call timeout on a jump and get it granted. Have you? Uh, it was on more, a jump. It was more so of a he had possession and was falling out yeah. of bounds. It wasn't this, the yeah. old kind of jump, yeah. and I'll just call timeout as I'm about to hit the ground um, and they kind of did away with that because it was getting a little bit uh, crazy but another one is the whole out of bounds inbounds um, we had a David Idata got called for it uh, I think on last Thursday he was out of bounds came back inbounds so you, now you have to have one foot he hasn't he established hit. himself inbounds and when he was the first to touch the ball exactly. that it was a turnover right yeah, and you can't run the baseline and be the first one to touch it if you went out of bounds either so there's a little bit of and you see that a lot in special teams in football they throw the officials right. throw their hats down or whatever um, so there are a lot of those little intricate rules that you don't really pay much attention to until they can potentially come back and bite you. Okay, one of those intricate rules, and how was it explained to you on Saturday uh, when Kenyon Hodges dunked a basketball uh, and seemingly simultaneously with the ex- exhaustion of the shot clock. The shot clock hit zero. He was in the process of dunking the ball. And so the question becomes, once the ball is in the cylinder, any part of the ball is in the cylinder, and zeros hit and the shot clock expires, does that count as getting it away before? Or if any part of his hand is still touching the basketball, uh, even though it's in the cylinder and the shot clock expires, is it good? Is it no good? They looked at it on replay quite a while. We showed several angles on ESPN Plus. 
how was the rule interpreted by the officials and explained to you? There was and what did you think was the rule before you ran up against that weird play? I, 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 just being honest with you, Eric, I didn't think it was very weird. You're touching the basketball when the shot clock goes off. It's a shot clock violation. I don't, to sure. me, I don't know what, you know, we're getting into the, well, it's three quarters of the ball, half the ball, a fourth of the ball in the cylinder. Like, you're touching the basketball, the shot clock goes off. I don't know how that's not a shot clock violation. And so any other explanation outside of that, I don't know, you know, are you, well, only. Is that the explanation they gave you? Only the rubber part of your shoe was out of bounds. Well, are you out of bounds or are you in bounds? You know, I don't, so to, I got the explanation of, yes, that he was, one, they couldn't tell if he was touching it or not, and I just was like, well, I don't, um, anyway. So it, that would also lead you to believe. Because well, it was a five-point game. or I'm sorry, it was a three-point game yes, at that time yes. with two minutes left. So if that, you know, that's a huge swing. It is a massive call in the basketball yeah, so game. Anyway. So my question is two things. Does the ball being in the cylinder cancel out physical touch of the ball? Does it, I got does a little it, bit of that explanation. Cancel that out and then. So then can we goaltend? Yeah. You know what Very I mean? I don't, I don't understand. These, these things aren't adding up. Are you touching the basketball and the shot clock goes off? Why do you have to have it off at half court for it to count, but not if you're dunking it? And, that's, I, and those are the responses I get, too, during the game. I thoroughly I, I thoroughly understand. I thoroughly Sorry, I'm am. taking it out on you because I don't have time no. to take it out on the officials I because mean, we've got to get to the next play because at the end of the day, it's done. You've got to move on. We're doing ESPN Plus, and I'm calling. I'm telling our crew, we need to see that replay again. Do you have another angle? I'm, I'm calling for that the whole time that the officials are over there because we want everyone to see, you know, what is going on, the replay. What I thought was great was that that replay that we were watching on ESPN+, Plus, they were showing to the yeah. fans and you and your team, and you were able to kind of make the call. Uh, and so what it appeared to me, had they called, it was a shot clock violation, that was the call. And then they went to the replay. There wasn't enough to overturn it. That's basically what my interpretation, that they had called it a shot clock, or they didn't call it a they shot clock violation. They did not call it a shot clock violation. We, we kind of went crazy because now had under two minutes. Had they called it a shot clock violation, though, do you think the officials are saying, we don't see enough to overturn it, we can't tell. So we got to go with the call. That, that is what it, that's how it was. They didn't call shot clock, so basket's good. Under two minutes, you can kind of – create a ruckus and get them to go look at it. They can look at another rule change. They can go look at shot clock violations. And under two minutes, you can go uh, out of bounds. Is it two minutes in the game or two minutes in a half? Second half. Okay, second second half. half. But goaltending calls, they can – or goaltending calls and um, shot clock violations, they can do almost immediately, uh, no no matter part of the game. Second half, under two minutes. It's not really a, a quote-unquote challenge like they have in the NBA right. or NFL, but you can kind of – that's when you see them doing the tour with their fingers. So under two minutes they can go to the monitor, stop the game, go to the monitor. Uh, so it wasn't – Which it seems like they did six times in the final two minutes of that game. Yeah, and any time the ball goes out of bounds, everyone thinks I wasn't the last one to touch it. Uh, so, again, you're going to get a lot of stoppages, um, just kind of the way sport is right now, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was just – it was. Basket was good. They said they didn't have enough. They couldn't tell if he was touching the ball. And then I got another explanation of three-quarters of the way in the rim cylinder, which I've never heard, and I need to get clarification on that because if I'm wrong, then I need to know. 
can you physically pick up the phone or email yeah. the director of officiating for yeah. the OVC and he can explain it to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's very open. He refed games when I've played. Um, so I know he comes here on campus once a year. Uh, he'll come to games typically throughout the year. Um, so, yeah, we can we can definitely have communication. I've, in four years, I've never sent clips in. I've never complained. I uh, complained probably too much during the games. I've sent him emails in the past of, hey, I apologize. I was Your guys handled themselves well. I didn't, and I appreciate that, so move on. Again, they're human beings. The refs aren't trying to do anything malicious. Uh, but, again, those, those what I would say are kind of hard-line rules, if we miss those, that's when it's kind of like, man, what? You know, we can't miss those. Like, if we have no timeouts left, I can't call timeout. You know, I, there's certain things you just can't do. And to me, if there's those hardline rules, we can't miss those types of things, especially if they seem to be reoccurring. What also I thought was interesting, uh, with about two and a half minutes to go, you spent your final timeout. I mean, it's a, okay. You know, you, you determine when you're going to take your timeouts. But what I thought was interesting uh, that I had not thought of and probably should have, and now I will going forward, is you know the way that college basketball is now, what we just talked about, under two minutes they're going to go to the monitor. So in your mind, spending your last time out with just over two, right around two and a half minutes, is not as big a deal because you know chances are, even if you want them to initiate it, so you can get a timeout. When they go to the monitor, you essentially get a timeout. The both teams huddle up, you get your whiteboard out, and while they're looking at it, I thought that was very interesting, and you saying, hey, I know that we're going to get something like that, so really I still have a timeout or two. Yeah, and I think sometimes, too, and I told you after the game, too, Eric, sometimes you can get in the way as a coach, too. Uh, it was a tight game against USI, and Rob had the ball late in yeah, late in the overtime and didn't call time. I think we had a timeout at that time because you get a plus one timeout in basketball right. when you go to overtime. So didn't use it then. And the game was flowing. We had Rob had the ball. So, uh, but in that game against uh, TSU, it was just I just felt it was the time. I, I, what I didn't want to have happen was we had a we, bunch of momentum. Um, we had pretty much cut the the five to maybe six guys that were playing at the time, and really the five that had brought us back to the game. Evan being one of those, uh, had played a, a lion's share of those minutes. So not only is it, all right, two and a half minutes, let's rest, let's let's try to finish this thing out, and we cut it to a two-possession game. Also, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, if it is a close game, there's going to be some sort of monitor type review. So uh, let's. I just thought at the time our guys needed it. Uh, we even, switched even to a press and got a turnover out of it, too. So. If you're the one who – goes yeah. to the officials and say, can you look at that? I think it was our guy, right. you know, it wasn't our guy who the ball went off of. Essentially, you're trying to get a review and essentially steal a timeout. Yeah, and I think, those will be the, I think those will be the next thing that's reviewed in the offseason. I think they'll create some new rules to that. I think you'll start to see a challenge maybe uh, creep in to the men's side of the game. Uh, just because, again, not only all those things that we all just mentioned, Eric, but also just the, anything contact to the head, they're going to go to the monitor. Right. Uh, so you have a whole lot of factors where that the game is going to stop. There's going to be a monitor review. In any close game, when has there not been a monitor review the last two minutes? So you can pretty much bank on that. And another interesting thing that last year and this year in the second half, the media timeouts changed. Uh, the OVC does that to where now that in the first half it's 16, 12, 8, and 4. Second half it's 17, 11, Eight, four, or no, 14, 17, 14, 11, 8, and 4. Uh, so, again, in, the, in other leagues, you'll see it on TV. It's 
first time out of the second half turns into a full media, and then it's under 16 as a full media. So sometimes teams that come out on a hot start, coach will call timeout, it's a full timeout, and then another one at the under 16. So in the OVC, they took that away. A timeout in the second half is a timeout, and it's automatic five media timeouts as opposed to whenever just that first timeout might be called. All right, so your game against Tennessee Tech, let's uh, let's start with that because uh, that was, especially the first half, uh, that was the best half of basketball, in my opinion, that you have played all season. And when you look at the entire body of work, 60% shooting, uh, holding Tech to 44%, uh, first of all, is that the greatest half of basketball you've had this year, that first half? And secondly, is that about as well as this team has played all season? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, early in the year, we were not a first-half team. We got off to slow, slow starts, and then we were playing really, really well in the second half. So uh, it's definitely the best wire-to-wire game we've played. Um, guys were ready. The ball was moving. I think it was 19 assists, 18 assists, something like that. And we even assisted 17 times against TSU. So over 30 assists in our last two games, which has been a, a really uh, bright spot. But, again, you're, you shoot good percentages when the ball is moving that way. And for us to be able to shoot the basketball uh, the way that we did, I don't know if you're ever going to shoot 60%. Uh, but if you do shoot 60%, again, you better be, you better win. And our guys were ready to go, um, just very clear-headed, uh, just really business-like uh, with their approach and the way that they played. The, we knew they were going to come out in zone with the way that they were. Uh, their roster was kind of depleted, and I thought we did an excellent job against the zone. We didn't settle for threes. We got the ball inside. Uh, Josh played well again. Uh, Evan made shots. Uh, just the ball was moving. The ball, the ball was moving. Bodies were moving, um, and we just played with that. Um, we kind of played like, all right, we we've got enough. You know, it's just kind of like we're, all right, we know exactly what's going to happen. We're going to do everything that we can do to make sure that this game goes how we know it can go and. Um, we were, our guys were ready to go, and they didn't let up. There were a couple moments there where we get a little bit laxed, um, especially the finish of the game. I think we got a little bit careless. Um, but um, all in all, that was that was probably the best game we've played both ends in all facets, really, because, again, we assisted well in low turnovers. Uh, but it wasn't just one guy got hot or two guys got hot from the outside. We played really good basketball. And for anybody that uh, thought that uh, Tennessee Tech, who was on the outside looking in for the top eight making the tournament, was just mailing it in uh, at that point when they, you blew them out, uh, 48 hours later they went to Lindenwood and beat them. So uh, you're not talking about a Tennessee Tech team that uh, is already phoning it in. No, and, and you know I don't think you're going to see any of that um, here down the stretch just because anything can happen. Uh, I think a lot of people are probably motivated by what we did a year ago uh, just as – just got to get in, and anything can happen. You know, four games in four days. Um, so I, I think everybody's jockeying for that position. Of course, you want to be in the top two, just to get those double buys. And uh, but I think anybody knows. And you look at some of the statistics and where you're at in conference play. Really, no one's that far from one another in, in a lot of different categories. So each game is going to be a little bit different. We've got Eastern Illinois coming up, who went and won at Little Rock in a close game, and then Little Rock comes and beats Eastern Illinois by 20 points at third place. Eastern Illinois is, I think, four and two on the road and one and five at home. It's just a lot of things don't make sense uh, right now, or what conventional wisdom would be. Uh, so you got to come and play every single game. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. I think we're playing better than we have. Again, our record doesn't reflect that, but we have been outside. We talked about it before, Eric. Outside of three games, we've been really competitive with chances to to win and steal games. Western Illinois, Little Rock. Um, you know, you can TSU just the other day. Tech. 
you know, there seems to be a lot of games there that you've Linden would at their place. Yeah, even was, at even at home, and, and they both were winnable, and we just, you know, I think I think that's on me more than anything. At some point, we've talked a lot about uh, coaches I really respect in the Big Twelve, Coach Huggins and Coach Self, and um, just the adjustments. I, instead of just being uh, wanting it to go right or thinking it's going to change itself, or you're going to get it corrected and you're going to make a run and win it, it just I don't want to say abandon, and that's the hard part as a coach when you're in the game and it's not going the way you wanted it to or the way you planned. It's like, well, at what point do you abandon the game plan to just try to win the game? And then have you sacrificed everything to that point to where it's going to hurt you in the future as well? And so you battle you battle that a lot in Lindenwood. I, we made that decision against TSU. We went to the zone, and it got us back into the game. I think it kind of done the same type of thing in those Lindenwood games. But, again, we're up. You go up six, you go up eight points on the road. At Lindenwood with eight minutes to go, you feel like you're in good position. And then just like that, a minute and a half, tie ball game. So um, we've got to be better uh, as players, as a group, as a team in those moments. But then I think I could have done a little bit better job, too, of making adjustments in those two particular games to keep us in it longer or to keep the lead where it was. And we did that against TSU, and that gave us a chance. Uh, great looks, and they, they just um, – we executed well. Proud of our guys the way that we executed late-game situations against TSU. I want to talk about the end of the game here before we bring Evan Ursher up. So you're down by uh, three points in the game, and Braxton Stacker goes to the line. Stacker, who – on Thursday, did not miss a free throw. He was four for four against Tennessee Tech. Well, he had already missed a free throw in the first half uh, on Saturday. So he goes to the line, uh, waning seconds. I think there were eight seconds yep. left in the game. Yep. He goes to the line, and he misses the first one. Yep. And so we're over there on our broadcast saying, okay, he's got to miss. Yep. You know, Jess is pointing out he, well, he's got to miss the second one. Well, for anybody who has watched a lot of basketball, we talk about some of the rules that guys don't know. There are some guys, I think, that don't know if you're trying to miss a free throw, the ball has to hit the rim or it's a dead ball, and it switches possession. You can't just rocket it off the backboard and come. It has to hit the rim. Right. And so you've seen a lot of guys try to miss free throws, and it doesn't hit the rim, and that's it. Mm -hmm. The ball goes to the other team. So, first of all, Stacker knew the rule. I don't know if he's practicing. He throws it perfectly off of the rim. Mm -hmm. It had to hit exactly in the middle of the basketball or else it caroms somewhere else. It bounced right to him. He kicks it out for a three. Evan Ursher's got it, you know, right wing. Uh, gives a little head and shoulder fake. The defender flies by like Tom Cruise in Top Gun doing a, a, a fly by the, the air tower uh, and just steps to his left. He's your hottest shooter. Mm -hmm. Has a really good look. It didn't go. Idata tips the ball out. BJ gets a shot at the but you got two good looks. Uh, Evans was a little better than BJ's, who's was contested. Uh, your your thought on the way that that game ended and how good was Stack to yeah. give you a shot? Because I mean, what you can count on one hand the percentages of guys. When you try to miss a free throw, you actually get the rebound. That never happens. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, just what you said, even the play before that. So we had a B.O.B. Um, it, it was that B.O.B. that Braxton got fouled on. We actually had a, a play drawn up, and Evan was going to get a corner three. We were going to go for the tie right then and there. And I just told, and B.J. took it out, so give him a lot of credit. Uh, late February, freshman, uh, to be able to make the play that he did. I said, hey, let's not quit on a couple different options out of the 
particular play. I was like, don't quit on the layup. We'll take a layup now because, again, it's B.O.B. If we score that right away, .5, one second goes off the clock. So now 8.6 goes to 7.6. Still enough time uh, to extend the game. So he didn't quit on it. He saw Braxton, and we got the foul. The, the back part of that play was going to be Evan was coming to the corner to get a three. We were going for the tie at that point. And then, just like you said, when you miss that first one, now with eight seconds left, it's like, all right, we're running out of time here. We can't just make one. They go down and make two free throws. We're down four. Like, we hit, we, it's now or never type of a moment. And so I put David in. Uh, David was supposed to kind of just buffalo across, and, and uh, I think maybe it was Adam uh, was in on the, on the left stall, and that's the back tap. So typically we would miss on the left side to get the ball to carry him to the right. And then now Adam's tapping it back. You put David in there to kind of screen, if you will, in front of Adam. Adam, come over the top. Adam, get the tap back. Uh, that's typically your free throw miss type of a play. Or your two guys on the outside, which would have been BJ and Rob, I think, at the time. They're breaking down because they can't break the three-point line until the ball hits the rim either, rule-wise. Um, so I think it just by happenstance, it, it hit perfectly in the front of the rim, came right back to stack. And, uh, you know, again, a great, great look. Uh, for Ev, you know, we talked about the scout report before, um, and I think that's when you think about guys and players and putting in the prep and, again, to make a bad analogy, but you look at, like, the Patrick Mahomes of the world. He doesn't just show up for the Super Bowl and be great. It's all the prep that you put in before that, and then you're able to just go play the game. We had talked a lot before in the scout report, TSU flies at every shot fake. And so now in that moment, Evan, with eight seconds left, that's a frantic situation to have the wherewithal to shot fake and give himself a wide-open, clean look. That's execution. Now, the shot didn't go in, but everything that was supposed to happen happened. And then give Dave credit, keep, he kept on playing. It was very similar to Kobe Clark's offensive rebounds against SIU at our place. And he kicked it out to Chris Harris, feet set left wing to win the game. You know, as long as you put your guys in those positions to be successful and they execute the right way, sometimes the result goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but they, our guys executed very, very well. That was way, way back in the day when SIU would play us, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, I had a conversation with Brian the other day about it, so we'll see. All right, we'll so you think it's trending in a direction where in men's basketball, SEMO and SIU will play because they play in every other sport. Yeah, I, it's a great game. It's just I've, you know, we may have to get some brass in the okay. wall. I, don't I, know. I just I'm, want to know if it might be trending in that direction. It, it's hard with my good friend Brian. Okay. I have to say if anything's trending anywhere. He's, right. he's pretty stoic. So to get any, kind of any um, answer out of him. I know we could go over there if we want, but, again, it's got to make sense for us uh, scheduling-wise and all that type of stuff. But it's just sure. too good of a game, too close of a game for us not to be able to play that game. All right. Evan Ursher. Let's talk about him. Uh, and uh, you, Aquan Smart w was injured, so you're going to start someone in place of Aquan Smart. You chose Evan Ursher. And, man, did he respond. I believe in his first start of the season, he did not score. Evan will remember that, but I think I remember that correctly. So you start him the last two games, and these are just tremendous performances by Evan Ursher, who hit four three-pointers in each of his two starts last week. What has been the difference here for Evan Ursher? Now, right now, he looks like a guy who is trending into being a starting Division One basketball player. Yeah, I think the thing with Evan is just consistency. Uh, if there's one word that you could use to describe him, I mean, he's a he's a three o four o type student. Takes care of his business. You never have to worry about him off the off the court. Um, he, he comes every day. He shoots after. Uh, he's an intense kid. He may not seem like it on the surface, uh, but inside there's a, a big fire that burns. Um, and Evan, and so just trying to find that right way to channel it and to put it into a positive 
a way for his game and for our game. I think he's really kind of um, coming into his own, as you've mentioned. In his last five statistics, this isn't just a guy that's gotten hot for one or two games. He's had a really a nice month. You know, really about the time that Josh early started to ascend and, and become kind of that guy. Uh, Evan's kind of been right behind on, on his heels with that, too. And so it, it's very pleasing to see because when you see a guy, it's, it's hard as a freshman, no matter who you are or where you come from or what it is. Uh, so he didn't get a ton of those minutes early on. But the one thing about Evan, you go back, I mean, Tevin Gowans, who was a walk-on for us and has left the, the program and went to a, a Division II school. He got a lot of minutes. He got a lot of minutes early. He just was a little bit more ready at his position than Ev was. But Evan never lost uh, his joy for the game. He never lost being a good teammate. Uh, he continued to work. He's, he went in the weight room that freshman year uh, outside of what our team did to stay ready. Um, and he played well in the OVC tournament against TSU and uh, all that type of stuff. So, and even this year, you have highs and lows. You, you think it's just going to come to you because, okay, I'm, I'm a sophomore and I played a little bit last year. Didn't come as, as easy or early as he wanted. And then he got his number called to perform at a, in a bigger role, and he's produced. And that's that's life. You know, that's college basketball. That's life. Um, and, you know, to the victor go the spoils, and he's he's done it. He's, he's put himself in position, like you said, to be that guy that someone's now got to take it from him. And that's competition. That's not jealousy. That's just competition within the team. And the more competition that you can have, you know, High tides rides all boats, and it's great to see Evan come and do that because he's a great kid, works his tail off. Um, you know, he's a tough kid, and again, just channeling all that energy and, and fire that he's got inside in a positive way is, is nice to see for him and for our program. Do you believe Evan Ursher is your best on the ball defender on your roster? I think you know the the weird the crazy thing about Evan is he's he's really strong. I wish we had some pictures of when he first showed up here to what he looks like now. I mean, he's changed his body quite a bit. Evan is a really, really good scouting report defender guy. A lot of times in the OVC and West, we've talked about it with Western Illinois, they love to just back you down, back you down. Evan is very, very strong. Uh, he is a very strong kid. And so when guys try to back him down um, and just really understanding that sometimes I think because I mentioned how great of a student he is, sometimes he gets in his own way uh, overthinking some things. And so you talked about Samson at uh, Tech making those threes on us at their place. Well, one of those was Evan thinking that he was guarding him, and he wasn't guarding him. And so he has the ability to be a great one-on-one -on -one defender, especially with the strength uh, that he has inside that arc. We're going to talk to Evan Ursher. When we come back, we'll take a time. Evan Ursher, who joins us here. Evan, uh, when guys come to the show, they always get lunch. I saw you were over there eating. What was, uh, what was on the menu for you today? Uh, I got boneless wings, barbecue boneless wings with fries. Okay, now, I would say the majority of the players that we have on the show are bone-in guys. We, we, we usually talk about that. Why the choice to go boneless? I just prefer boneless more than bone-in. I like bone-in, too, though, like flats. Like, I love bone-in, but I'm just more of a boneless guy. And, uh, by the way, for those who don't know, if you are somebody that likes the drums for wings or you like flats better... If you get a 10-piece, you can say, I want them all flats, or I want them all, you know, uh, you, you can do that if that's what you prefer. The reason that uh, if I'll get boneless sometimes is because I don't want my hand, my fingers all messy. I, that's kind of a weak reason, but they're both good. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes I don't feel like I, like working to eat my food sometimes. <laughs> I could just get the fork with the boneless and just bite it. No, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Totally with you. All right, so uh, what I think is interesting, the high school that you played for, I don't know that I have ever seen 
uh, an athlete that, that played at that particular school. It's called the Webb School. Now, you're from Hendersonville, Tennessee. How far is that from Nashville? It's pretty close, right? Yeah, it's only like 30 minutes outside of Nashville. Okay, so, so about as far as Clarksville is from Nashville, where Austin P is? Um, no. Maybe, maybe that's about 45 minutes Four, from, yeah. 45, almost an hour. Okay. Clarksville from Nashville. Okay, yeah. all right. So, not not far from Nashville. No, 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 no. What I thought was interesting, uh, the Webb School, uh, I like to look up what is the mascot mm-hmm. for a particular school. Like, yeah. uh, like here in Cape, uh, Cape Central High School, they're the Tigers. When I looked up yours, you guys are called the Web Feet. Yeah. <laughs> what in the world? Is there a story behind that? The Web Feet, that, that, that is a very unique mascot. Um, I, don't, I don't know the story behind it, but, yeah, our mascot is the Feet. Uh, just when the school is made, they just, I guess they picked the Feet as a mascot. I Do you know. have a physical mascot that is at the games like like SEMO does with Rowdy the Red Hockey? You know, he's bouncing around the games. Did your high school, was there a mascot? No, 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 there wasn't a mascot. But in our gym, we have a big, like, painting of a shoe, and it has, like, wings on it. And that's just kind of like our thing, just the feet. All right. I just wanted anybody who's here, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the web school, the web feet. So I thought it was very interesting when I was looking up your school. Uh, and you played at uh, the Web School. You guys won uh, 20 games, I believe, your senior year, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, we won 20 games. Um, we lost in the regions to um, a team out of Memphis. Um, a kid who played on Tennessee Tech, Daniel, he played for that team. So Okay. Um, but, yeah, so we made it to Elite Eight. My senior year. So it was a really good year. Yeah, great year. Great what, year. what were the What were the highlights uh, that you remember? Um, probably one of our highlights was uh, beating one of our rivals, Columbia Academy, at their place. That was a big game, and just the whole district tournament. So we won the district. So, well, if you're in the the Nashville area, obviously there's a lot of talent there. Who are who are some of the best players that you've ever played against? Um, the best player I, put, I ever played against was Brandon Miller. Um, went to Alabama, is now in the Hornets. He's probably the best player I. Was he the second overall draft pick behind Wembenyama? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, he was. Yeah. Number two in the draft, so you could yeah. tell that he was a pretty elite talent. Yeah, he was a pro. Just his size and just um, what he can do with the ball with his size is just is incredible. So, it's cool. So you have gotten really hot shooting the basketball. Do, do you consider yourself a a three-point shooter? I do, I do, I do consider myself a three-point shooter. Yeah. Uh, all right, so if you are uh, in the gym and it's you and Adam Larson and you're playing horse, who who's the better shooter? Me. All right, there it is. Yeah. Right Me. there. And when did you, I mean, maybe you probably knew in your head, man, i got to be physically strong to play Division One basketball. We see Adam Larson, he's trying to get stronger. But you can see a difference uh, how guys are able to play and how other players playing against them uh, if they don't aren't physically strong. When did it? When did you know? Hey, man, I got to get in the gym, and this is really going to help my game because it really looks like you have dedicated yourself to getting bigger and stronger. Um, well, I think it kind of started in high school. Um, so in high school, I'll get up uh, before school at web like five and we go work out this guy named Eli Gillis uh he coached me growing up for EAB 
so I think it started there, like when I was younger, just developing like the work ethic and the, the attitude towards the weight room. Um, obviously, I wasn't, I didn't have Danny Strom telling me what to do. Like he's smart and knows everything about like strength and conditioning. So, but I think it started in high school, like just the preparation, like developing the work ethic. But um, last year, I just I wouldn't get as many minutes, so I know like you know next year <clears throat> I'm have a bigger role and like defensively the weight room helps a lot. Like um, so. Just understanding that, I guess. Yeah, so. Well, obviously, you you get more highlights when you're you know scoring double digits when you're raining down three point baskets. Uh, but I can tell you buy into defense. You are a very good defender. How much pride do you take in defense? Um, I take a lot of pride in defense. Um, probably because I realized, like coming into college, if you don't play defense, you won't play. So <laughs> you kind of got to take pride in it, in my opinion, if you want to play. Um, especially being a guard, you know, OBC does a lot of talented guards. So if you can't guard your yard, then it'll make it difficult for, to win and just make it harder for your team, your backline guys behind you. So um, just playing defense is, is important. So I don't know. Maybe it was 30. Maybe it was 35 feet. Uh, the buzzer beater that you hit uh, last Thursday uh, against Tennessee Tech. Uh, first of all, can you tell? that it's going in. I, I know a lot of times you can tell when you're just taking a normal shot. Well, this is not a normal shot. This is 35 feet. It may have been 38 feet. It was long, and it was a buzzer beater to end the half. Can you tell with a shot like that? Could you tell it was going in? And I know players work on those long shots. Even if they're just messing around, guys are taking half-court shots. Do you work on those shots? Um. Yeah, just kind of horsing around, like, after practice. Um, Quan, he shoots a lot of half-court shots, and, like, after practice, I'll just, like, throw one up and, like, do stuff like that, like, three, two, one, kind of like you do when you're a kid. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, you, you can say I practice it. Yeah, we shoot we shoot shots like that all the time. So, Could you tell that shot was going in when it left your hand? Yeah, I knew it was good. Um, I could feel the energy, like, before I got the ball, like, if I can get this up, it's going in. And then um, I did a left hand in and out in front of uh, Deontay Wood, and he kind of just stood there. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to be able to get it off. And so when it left my hand and I was able to get over the half-court line, I knew it was good. And uh, for the Red Hawk fans who pay close attention, they'll remember the name Deontay Wood because he hit the buzzer beater in the OVC tournament championship game, which everyone at the moment thought had beaten you, and they had won the game. And uh, upon further review, thank goodness we have replay. His foot was on the line, uh, and you guys win uh, in overtime. Uh, is is Wood, I saw some trash talking going on out there. Does Wood fall into that category? Is he, is he a trash talker? Who, who, who are the, who are the tr- trash talkers for Tennessee State or Tennessee Tech? Um, for Tennessee State, I think it's pretty much the whole team. <laughs> uh, for Tennessee Tech, I don't. I don't. I didn't really remember anybody trash talking, but you can just kind of feel the energy and like the way they carry themselves. They kind of remember that. I mean, they should. So, but I don't really remember like Wood talking trash or anything. But Tennessee State, they for sure they talk trash. Well, Everybody. I know Tennessee State talks trash. We remember the game at Tennessee State. Now, the way that the schedule has fallen this year with 18 conference games, there are two teams that you only play once. Next year, it won't be that way when we go to 20 conference games. And those two teams are Tennessee State and Eastern Illinois. We do not play them twice this year. But the last time we went to Tennessee State, there were 11 technical fouls in the basketball game. What was that game like? 
What was the trash talking in that game like? And I can't remember if you got one of the technical fouls or not. Off the top of my head, I would say you did not. No, I did not. Okay. Uh, the game was crazy. It was. Have you ever seen a game with 11 technical fouls? No, no, it was yeah. bad. It was chaotic. It just, it just kind of felt like you couldn't get to the game. Felt like we were dealing with so much other things. Um, How much trash talking was going on there? Because I know some of those technicals were because of trash talk. Yeah, it's just a lot of trash talk. Uh, everybody was talking. So our players, the coach, uh, the coach from Tennessee State, Coach Penny, he was talking trash. People in the crowd. It just, it was chaotic. Coach Corn, does he ever talk trash? Nah, Coach Corn keeps his cool. I, I've classy never, dude, classy I've, dude. I've he never seen him talk trash. Yeah. But we don't see him in practice, and coaches are a little different in practice than they are on a sideline of a game. He can get intense in practice, right? Yeah, he can get intense in practice, but I don't think it's, like, nothing over the top. Like, But, like, he gets his point across without being, like, super abrasive, I'll say so. But, he, yeah. So that was a big win against Tech. It would have been great had you uh, completed the comeback against Tennessee State. So now you know what you have to do. We are literally coming down the stretch in the conference race. You've got to finish in the top eight to make the tournament. You've got six games left. Only two are at home. So if you're going to get this thing done and work your way into the tournament field, you've got to do it on the road. What, what's, the, what's the mindset of this team right now, knowing exactly what you're going to have to do? Um, the mindset is just what it's always been for, for the whole year, even though uh, we may have struggled on the road, just come in and um, get to work and just stay focused on, on the next game, honestly. Um, obviously, we know, like, we got to win games because it's coming down to the last little bit, and it's an important stretch for us. So just coming in and understanding that and maybe being more more intense and focusing on the details. So that's all right. Uh, are you, did you ever play football growing up in Hendersonville? <laughs> no, no, no. I played flag football when I was uh, super young, but I never, I never was a football guy. Was it always just basketball? No baseball or volleyball or track and field? Nothing. No, always basketball. All always right. Basketball. So, were you interested in the Super Bowl last night? I was. I didn't catch uh, much of the first half, but I did watch the second half. But, yeah. That was a good fourth quarter, wasn't it? It was a great fourth quarter. It was a great game. Went on overtime. Are so. you a Titans fan? I mean, are you, or do you root for a particular team? No, not, 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 I don't. But uh, I've been to some Titans games. I've been to three Titans games. So. All right. Well, uh, it's, it's interesting because the Tennessee State football team, they play their games at Nissan Stadium. And the way that, that happened, they got a lot of public money when they built the stadium and so one of the lawmakers said okay uh, whatever is available on game day for the titans that's parking that's security that's concessions that's video everything has to be available for tennessee state university and they have a lifetime contract in that stadium so in order to get the public money they had to agree to that so uh, i've broadcast a lot of football games from there when Simo goes to play Tennessee State. Pretty nice stadium. I, I hear they, they may be trying to build a new one. Yeah, they are trying to build a new one. And um, when I was younger, I used to go to the John, I think it's John Merritt Classic, yeah. where Tennessee State will play another um, HBCU. And it's played at the, it was played at the Nissan Stadium. So I just remember that growing up, like going to that with my friends and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. But, yeah, they are building a new stadium and um, just being – from Nashville, close to Nashville, um, people are excited about it. So, All right, so the one they've got now is downtown. And, yes. And when you're driving on 2440, uh, you drive by the stadium, so you can see it from the interstate. Is it going to be close to where that one is, same spot? Do we know? 
I'm not sure. I'm, I have to look up the details. I'm not sure, but I, I can imagine it'd be in the same spot or closer. Um, you can see, like, the Batman building, like you were saying, and you can see the, over, the overlooks downtown, so it's really nice. So. And, and SEMO's got a couple of ties to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, their general manager, who was let go last year, uh, John Robinson, SEMO graduate, and we had an offensive lineman that I think played seven years for the Tennessee Titans. His name was Eugene Amano. Well, his name still is Eugene Amano, and he retired early. He was still a high level. He was a starter for the Titans, uh, but he had bought into this Hawaiian food franchise. So he owns a bunch of Hawaiian food restaurants, and so he decided he'd retire. He was still in great health. Uh, and now he's running uh, Hawaiian uh, restaurants, but he played for the Titans for about seven years. So SEMO's got some ties. I didn't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool to hear. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, what's, uh, what's uh, the mindset here as you get ready to, uh, to head to Eastern Illinois on Thursday? Um, just attacking practice tomorrow, um, locking in on the scouting report, taking, take pride in the scouting report on my matchup and just um, making sure that we're connected as a group and uh, we understand what's what's in store for these next couple of weeks with these road games um, and just staying prepared and getting rest. That's it. Getting ready to go for the six on the road starting Thursday. Evan, thanks so much. Best of luck down the stretch here. and we got to stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Evan Ursher joining us. One final thought here with uh, Coach Brad Korn. When we come back, it's the Red Hawks Coaches Show from Wings on SEMO ESPN. We're here. Red Hawks Coaches Show. Coach Brad Korn rejoins us. Uh, we just talked with Evan Ursher. Coach, uh, Evan did a terrific job. Yeah, he's a, he's a, you know, you want your guys to be great basketball players, but uh, you also want them to be productive people in society. And Evan, his mother's done a great job with him. He's just a, he's a grounded, hardworking kid and um, just a great, great young man. You're proud of people like that that are in your program. All right, you go, you go to Eastern Illinois on Thursday, and then it's uh, SIU Edwardsville on Saturday. Uh, with um, Marty uh, Simmons, who is the coach at EIU. Uh, you're talking about a guy who had a lot of success at Southern Indiana, uh, You know, was the coach of the Evansville Purple Aces. and now Edward, Edwardsville. Oh, Edwardsville, that was it. Okay. Yep. It was SIU Edwardsville. Uh, and now you, he's the coach at Eastern Illinois. So uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with the tendencies of, of playing a, a Marty Simmons-type team. Yeah, but it's going to be completely different. You look at their team uh, from last year. You know, Hodges now at TSU playing well. Uh, there's a uh, – I forget his name, but the big kid now at Murray, starting at Murray State. Um, another kid that starts at Evansville. Uh, another kid they had went somewhere else and starts. So they had, a, they had a talented roster last year, but they didn't qualify for the OVC tournament. So, again, it just – goes to show you that it doesn't matter the town if you're not all together and connected it's not going to work so this Ken, year Kenyon Hodges yeah he was there yeah. yeah so I mean they've had I think they had five guys on that I think all their starters are starting somewhere else at a maybe a quote-unquote higher level or similar level so um, and that was just a year ago so this, my, my point is this year they're way more connected they may not have this quote-unquote star power but they're a, more of a Marty Simmons type of a team to where they're going to they're running their actions. They're going to take care of the basketball. They're going to be physical. They're going to screen. Uh, they're going to have a scheme defensively. You know, they're very, very physical inside the arc. So um, look different team from a year ago just because um, I think that they had a lot of holes last year because they weren't together. And so you could pick on some certain areas and certain things. This year it's not that way. You literally have to go beat that team. 
and that's why they've had. It's been talked about a little bit earlier. Just weird the way they've their home record compared. Normally it's the other way around. You know, we've not been a good road team this year. They've done really well on the road, but not as well at home. So, um, but more of a true, true team that you have to go beat instead of a bunch of individuals. And speaking of uh, Kenyon Hodges, I brought him up because uh, uh, he had his best conference game of the year here Saturday for Tennessee State, 18 points. Uh, obviously, he's from Cape Girardeau. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys did recruit Kenyon Hodges. You had a scheduled visit to come to the SEMO campus, and you got a phone call that said, uh, hey, I'm going to Tennessee State. So for those who are saying, uh, why why didn't he come, you know, first of all, out of high school here? And secondly, why if he's in the portal, you know, why didn't SEMO get him? It's one thing to get someone. It's another thing if you didn't recruit them. You recruited Kenyon Hodges. Yeah, we let him know he could. He could. We wanted him to come here, and I think again, we've talked about it at length. There, you look at if he's looking at TSU, well, they just lost Junior Clay, who averaged 20 points a game. And if their sell is, hey, you be, come here and be our Junior Clay and average 20, you know, we still at the time had Phil and other things. So um, it just didn't work out. But I'll tell you what, the exchanges, even when he went to Eastern Illinois, um, he was hurt in our game at their at their place. He played here and didn't play well a year ago, and he played really well. Uh, last game, so even in the handshake line, uh, all my conversations and interactions with that young man have been very, very positive. Um, and he's been very positive towards us and towards Simo. Uh, so I really respect him as a as a young person. He's got to make the best decisions for him. And uh, the things that he said after the game, the things I said to him after the game, uh, nothing but respect for him. And he's a heck of a player. And now that we only have to play them once, um, you know, I wish him nothing but success because, again, the way he has always handled himself to me and the words spoken to me by him have been nothing but positive and respectful, so I respect him. Boy, for his size, can that guy elevate or what? Yeah, he really can. One of the best athletes. You know, we talk about Holy Braxton God. being able to be an athlete. He's even a little bit, quote-unquote, smaller than Braxton. So when you see Braxton do it, it's like, oh, well, that's great. He's an athlete. But when you see kind of a maybe a, a thinner guy do it and the force in which he does it with is, is – very, very impressive. All right. So it'll be uh, it's six games left. Four of the six are on the road. Uh, you know a little bit about something winning away from the Show Me Center. You, you did it in Evansville. Four wins in four days. Uh, so you know you've got your work cut out for you. If you're gonna if you're gonna make the tournament, something's gonna have to happen on the road. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know it's just uh, it's where it's at. You can't you can't run from it. We've again we can't go back and get other games that we've we've lost. Uh, again, I think they're going to be super competitive games. The quick turnaround on the road. Uh, again, we've already beat Edwardsville at our place, so they're fighting for positions for themselves, and they're 500, and they just lost. And so uh, it's their senior night, ironically enough, too, on, on that Saturday. So they finished with four on the road. So, again, just like anything else, it can always be better. It could always be worse. I would not want to finish with four straight on the road, but four out of six. Um, and those last two, again, going at Moorhead to end the season, We've done it before, uh, but we've got a lot of games before that. But, um, yeah, we've got to be – I think we're playing better than we have um, and a little bit more consistency, which is nice. And, again, we've assisted very well offensively. So a little more toughness, uh, a little more rebounding, and, and see what happens here. All right, uh, two games, Thursday, Saturday. Coach, again, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate you squeezing us in today. All right, no problem, Eric. All right, that is the Red Hawks head coach, Brad Korn. Thanks also. To uh, Evan Ursher, who joined us a little bit earlier. Thanks to Rachel Cook, our engineer on site, and the lovely and talented Dawn Sean has made an appearance today. She said she has not been to a, a Brad Corn coaches show, so she is here uh, supporting the Red Hawks as well. Stay tuned. Get you back into regular programming on ESPN Radio. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. So long from Wayne.